Welcome to Bullhorn Bible Study. This week, we are taking a look at the biblical truth behind a meme. It's the Venn diagram intersection of things I love to talk about. Jesus and pop culture. Throw in a little talk on young adult dystopian novels and I would never leave the conversation. Jesus, take the wheel. Have you heard that one? I think this started when Carrie Underwood sang the song, Jesus Take the Wheel, back in 2005. But somehow it has gotten to a place in our culture where it's pretty popular and you kind of hear people using it all over the place. I'm pretty sure my best friend used it yesterday. But my personal favorite is this one from the Real Housewives of one of the places. Jesus, take the wheel and drive real fast. That's my favorite. I love a good meme. And I'd like to think that God enjoys a good humored razzing just as much as the next person. I mean, he has to have a sense of humor, right? I mean, he created the duckbill platypus and he gave us Robin Williams. But I wonder if the use of this particular saying slash meme doesn't make him a little sad. <laughs> Great way to start a Bible study, Jody. Hear me out. Have you ever seen Antique Roadshow? Okay, I haven't either, but I get the gist of it. It's where people bring in their junk and they discover that it's actually a valuable treasure. This statue you've been using as a doorstopper for many years is actually worth one billion dollars. That's kind of how I feel about how we use Jesus Take the Wheel. We use it as a doorstop when it's actually something incredibly valuable. You see, this isn't just a saying in the Bible. It is the Bible. Back in our study in Eye for an Eye, we talked about how the whole Bible from Old Testament to New Testament is one story. It's God's love story where it tells how he rescued his wandering people and brought them safely home. We've spent some time talking about kind of what's in the middle, but I want to go back to the very, very beginning. In the beginning, those are actually the first words in the story. Those are found in the book of Genesis. And in the first two chapters of Genesis, God creates, well, everything. Night and day, land and sea, plants, animals, humans. The world was perfect. Humans didn't have any fear or anxiety or doubt or shame. They didn't have anything remotely bad in their lives. That's because they trusted God to provide for them, and he did. Until the day that they ate from the tree that they weren't supposed to, and the world broke. Fear and shame and regret entered into the hearts and minds of humans. Eating from the tree didn't exactly cause the world to break. It was the fact that by doing so, the people decided not to trust that God would provide for them completely. It was like a grand road trip adventure. God was driving because he had his license and knew where we were going. And we were content to sit in the back seat with the, the window down and the breeze coming in and the sun on our faces, eating Twizzlers and just singing along to John Denver songs. We were content knowing that God was going to get us safely where we needed to go. 
all we had to do was enjoy the ride. But then we decided that maybe God didn't know where he was going or that we could find a better way on our own. So we took hold of the wheel and we've been driving ever since. Except we don't have our license and we don't know where we're going. But remember, this is a love story about how God rescues his wandering people and brings them home through Jesus. Today we're picking up the story in Mark 10. Now be advised, I am going to be reading today from the message translation of the Bible. The reason I'm doing so is I think it'll give us fresh ears to hear a story that might already be familiar to us. A little bit of context as to where this is in the whole story. This is towards the end of Jesus's public ministry. As you remember, that was only about a three year length of time. It won't be much longer after this when Jesus goes to Jerusalem where he's arrested and crucified. But for now, he's still, wa he's still walking around from town to town telling people why he's doing this and what it means for their lives. Jesus and his disciples are traveling from Capernaum and they're heading south towards Jerusalem, which is where it will all end and also begin. The Bible tells us that on their way to Jerusalem, they crossed the river Jordan and Jesus stopped and taught the crowds as he did. He had just finished his teaching for the day. Okay, I mean, let's be honest, he's always teaching, but he had just finished his sermon, everybody sit down and I will speak to you in a public voice kind of way. <laughs> I don't know if he used that kind of voice, but you know what I mean. He was leaving to go to the next place when it says that a man came and fell at his knees. It says that the man greeted him with great reverence and asked, good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. Er, full stop. <laughs> this always bothered me because why is Jesus saying this? Is he saying that he's not good or that he's not the son of God? I mean, that would kind of throw the whole Trinity thing out the window. But then I realized something. Jesus isn't denying that he is those things. He's asking the man a question. You see, he's asking the man if he really believes that Jesus is good and is God. He's checking to see where his faith goes. This makes so much more sense with what happens next. Jesus continues, you know the commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, honor your father and mother. And the man says, teacher, I have from my youth kept them all. Man, I freaking love the Bible. It tells us the same thing over and over again in so many different ways so we don't miss it. Remember how we talked about how it's a story of movement, that we, we start with the chaos of sin and then we're moving towards redemption through Jesus and the holiness and wholeness that is found there. Well, so this in this story, this man is living that Old Testament life, you know, where the laws are the handholds that help us identify what's right and wrong. And you'll remember that Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He came to move the story forward. And he's about to help this man try to move his own story forward out of the law of the commandments towards something greater. So the man says, I'm doing all these things. I'm doing it right. So now what? 
It says that Jesus looked him hard in the eye and loved him. Okay, no lie, this is probably my favorite line in the whole Bible. Jesus looked at this man and he knew him and he loved him as he was. He said to the man, there's one thing left. See, he's moved, he's trying to move him a little bit. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. All your wealth will then be heavenly wealth and come and follow me. The man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear and he walked off with a heavy heart. Okay, so if Jesus is telling this man that he needs to sell all his possessions and give the money to the poor, is he also saying that to us? Maybe. That is between you and God and the lesson you learn from this story with Jesus. Because Jesus is actually digging a little deeper here. So the man walked off with a heavy heart and the Bible makes an observation. It says, he was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. It wasn't so much about the money, it was about what this man wouldn't trust God with. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, do you have any idea how difficult it is for people who have it all to enter God's kingdom? The disciples couldn't believe what they were hearing, but Jesus kept on. You can't imagine how difficult. I'd say it's easier for a camel to go through the needle's eye than for the rich to get into God's kingdom. That set the disciples back on their heels. Then who has any chance at all, they asked. Jesus was blunt. No chance at all if you think you can pull it off by yourself. Every chance in the world if you let God do it. In other words, if you keep driving, you're not going to get where you want to go. If you want the life that your heart longs for, you have to allow God to be in charge. This is the Bible. This is a story being told. We started out where God was in the driver's seat, but we thought maybe we could do a better job on our own. So we kicked him out and we decided to sit there and in the process ended up crashing into a bunch of things and people. So God sent us Jesus to rescue us and to bring us home. Jesus, take the wheel indeed. So why is it that the saying of this phrase might make God sad? Well, two reasons. The first is that we don't mean it. We don't actually want Jesus to drive because we haven't chosen to trust him yet. We want to be the ones in the driver's seat because then we get to be in charge. And so what we end up doing is treating the the priceless treasure of Jesus like it's a mere decoration in our lives. It's like taking the Mona Lisa out of its frame and tacking it up on the wall of a college dorm room. The second way is when we expect him to wrench it from our grasp without any willingness or surrender on our part. The most true thing about God is his love for us. And real love won't be forced. It's contradictory to its very nature. And so Jesus isn't going to take the wheel from you even if he knows it's leading you down a path that you do not want to go. Now, trust me, the whole time he's going to be saying, do you want me to drive? How about now? <clears throat> how, about, how about now? How about now? And at the same time, he's going to be providing off-ramps to try to get you to go a different direction. But he's not going to take the wheel from you. That is, has to be your choice. 
You see, to let Jesus take the wheel means that you need to let go and surrender it to him. It's a surrender of your trust. Honestly, it's not as easy as it might sound, and there's a reason why so many people just prefer to keep their hands on the wheel. Let's go back to Mark. Who has any chance at all, they asked. Jesus was blunt. No chance at all if you think you can pull it off by yourself. Every chance in the world if you let God do it. Peter tried another angle. We left everything and followed you. Jesus said, mark my words, no one who sacrifices house, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, land, whatever, because of me and the message will lose out. They'll get it all back, but multiplied many times in homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and land, but also in troubles. And then the bonus of eternal life. This is once again the great reversal. Many who are first will end up last and the last first. Trusting God with your life, with every little bit of it, including the things that are most precious, whether that's a relationship or your health or your career, whatever it is, trusting God with those things doesn't mean that it won't be hard or that bad things might not happen to that which you hold dear. The road could be rough. There could be huge storms that damage the car. But Jesus promises that if we trust in God's direction, he will get us safely where we need to be, which means that we will end the story with our souls intact. So does that mean that we shouldn't be using this phrase lightheartedly at all? No, I think God really enjoys being a part of those moments in your life. But know the value of what you have. My my Jesus Take the Wheel moments have mostly centered around my daughters lately. Like, they just try my patience and I just don't understand why they do the things that they do. And so I find myself saying my own version, which is, Lord Jesus, help me, which I'm using lightheartedly. But do I know, do I take the time to bring it to Jesus and and allow him to give me patience and understanding that is beyond my own capacity because that's the value of allowing Jesus to take the wheel. I want to end this week's study with a look back at Jesus's words to the man when he first appeared to talk to Jesus. The man said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? When you say, Jesus, take the wheel, or any of its counterparts, why are you saying it? Are you saying it because you believe it and that you know the value of it? Or are you just using it as a mere decoration in your life? My name is Jody Swee. This has been Bullhorn Bible Study. We'll see you next time.